Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. Welcome to the book of Ezra. This three-week series is the reminder of the series that we started in the book of Nehemiah titled The Revival Project. And if you're a member of the Redemption Church, then this should sound familiar to you if you've been with us for the last year and a half. This is our building campaign, but it's not just a fundraiser. We're going to go through the book of Ezra, particularly the passages we didn't cover when we went through the book of Esther. Right Now, much of our devotional content in the book of Esther came from the book of Ezra. Because God is not named specifically in the book of Esther, our devotions aspired to show how the sovereign hand of God was indeed at work in the nation of Persia Bible-wide. Just to reinforce on a daily basis throughout the week, Monday through Saturday, for the Redemption Church, that even though God is unnamed in Esther, He is at work. So this leaves us with three weeks' worth of content to continue in the book of Ezra in a perfect continuation of what we studied in Nehemiah. In fact, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah originally in the Hebrew were one text. There's a break point in the narrative whereupon we kind of delve into Ezra's own reflection on his contribution to this ministry begun by Zerubbabel, continued by Ezra, uh, uh, and then largely finished in the, the construction of the wall by, by Nehemiah. And so we want to zoom in on this in a way that just helps invite people in our church who haven't been here so far into our building campaign. If you do not go to the Redemption Church, but you want to give, you can learn more at redemptionwashington.com, and then click Revival Project. Uh, here is Exodus chapter 34. This is imperative for understanding what we're going to cover in our devotion, beginning with tomorrow's devotion at the beginning of Ezra chapter 9. Here's Exodus chapter 34, verse 10. And the Lord responded, <laughs> watch out for whatever comes after that. Look, I am making a covenant in the presence of of all your people, I will perform wonders that have never been done in the whole earth or in any nation. All the people you live among will see the Lord's work, for what I am doing with you is awe-inspiring. <laughs> Dude, take a minute to just bask in the I can't even use the word colossal because that has vaguely pagan connotations, like the enormity of this promise. The, the God who does everything he ever promises to do is about to do for his people. Here's verse 11. Observe what I command you today. I'm going to drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hethites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with the inhabitants of the land that you are going to enter. Otherwise, they will become a snare among you. Instead, you must tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, and chop down their Asherah poles. Because the Lord is jealous for his reputation, you are never to bow down to another god. He is a jealous god. Do not make a treaty with the inhabitants of the land, or else when they prostitute themselves with their gods and sacrifice to their gods, they will invite you, and you will eat their sacrifices. Then you will take some of their daughters as brides for your sons. Their daughters will prostitute themselves with their gods and cause your sons to prostitute themselves with their gods. Do not make cast images of gods for yourselves. This is vital because exactly what this command and what this warning um, is, is intended to protect Israel from, they're going to fall into in the book of Ezra, post-exile. So here in the book of Exodus, 
We are pre-Joshua. We are pre-judges. So if you've been following along with JCM and our resources, if you've used our series Failure, Lust, and Loss in the book of Judges, if you used Strength, uh, uh, Strong, uh, Strength and Courage through the book of Joshua, then you already know that God does indeed give them the land of the Canaanites, the Hivites, Jebusites, Perizzites, the, all these all these ites, they do take that land. They leave some remnants behind. Those remnants grow, and then the people of God do what's right in their own eyes. That brings about the era of the judges. But here's how it began with this stern warning. And it turns out to have been prophetic. Exactly what God warned them about is exactly what what happens. So these people are going to be named in our first devotion in the book of Ezra, plus some more. Not only do they take on some of the worship practices of the very people whom they fail to completely drive out in the book of Joshua, but there are also going to be worship practices taken on from the Moabites and the Egyptians. We'll talk tomorrow about why that's particularly unthinkable. Now, be careful not to make a treaty with the inhabitants of this land that you're going to enter. Otherwise, they will become a snare among you. This is exactly what happens. Go see our, our series, Strength and Courage, in the book of Joshua, because they end up getting duped at one point into making a treaty with a people, and uh, they end up just sort of being water carriers for the people of God, all the way until uh, the time of, of Sol uh, Solomon, King Solomon. And so it, uh, this, this warning was prophetic in that regard. So instead, they must tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars. Um, we, we bought a house on, on Tiger Mountain, and uh, it's a really fascinating neighborhood. People come here to work in the tech sector, and like 35% of the people who live here move here from another country. And so they often bring their faith systems with them. When we were trying to buy a house here, one house that we almost got, we ended up, I say almost, we got outbid. Somebody had like $100,000 cash lying around. Good grief. I don't know if that's any of you, but please give it to the Revival Project. These guys had built... Um, straight up pagan altars in the backyard and i'm a christian pastor and so my wife was like what are we going to do if we get this house and i was like well we're going to go we're going to go exodus style we're going <laughs> to we're going to invite the young men of the church over and we're going to literally smash idols uh, that's what we're going to do now we ended up not getting that house so i don't know what became of those uh, of those altars it's down the street from the house that god gave us and i'm grateful that we didn't get it uh, because we've got more room for the students of the redemption church now something funny though in this last calling to chop down their asherah poles all right uh, if you've been with jcm devotions you've seen asherah come up before um, these are phallic images. And so this particular marching order carries with it something profound, <laughs> profoundly funny. Because the Lord is jealous for his reputation. Okay, if you're the people of God, you got to act like the people of God. Uh, this revival project that we're praying for, let it begin in our hearts. You are never to bow down to another God. He is a jealous God. Jesse, I see that word jealousy. That seems like a negative attribute of God's. How is that possible? Don't conflate jealousy with envy or covetousness, for which there is a commandment against given by God, it is a good thing that God is jealous. Again, not envious. There's no one who has more than he does. Not covetousness. It's not that he wants a different bride. He's God. But he is jealous, as is his prerogative. And it would be inappropriate if he were not. Because he is our creator. There's no one else who went to the cross for us. There's no one else who rose again. Why should we give our faith to someone else? The Old Testament Israelites received this knowing full well who they were and whose they were. 
And if they should bow down to another God who didn't deliver them from slavery, didn't bring the plagues upon the Egyptians, didn't feed them with manna from heaven throughout the Exodus, then they would be provoking the jealousy of God. These guys would be doing something wrong to bow down to someone else. It is right for God to be jealous. And if he were not jealous, then it would seem as though he did not care for his people, as if he didn't care where their devotions lie. He is a jealous God because it is right for him to be so. It is wrong for us to forsake him. And he genuinely does, in fact, love his people, both in the Old Testament and in the New. Now, all of this turns out to be prophetic as well. Then you will take some of their daughters as brides for your sons. Okay, we're going to see this spoiler in tomorrow's devotion, Ezra chapter 9. It's right there in the first like three verses, I think. And then all of this turns out to be quite true. In addition to the gods of the Canaanites, also it's going to be the gods of even the Egyptians and the Moabites. That's unthinkable. And yet that is in fact the case. So as we delve into Ezra, um, the, the passages that remain uh, uh, since our study of Esther and, and Nehemiah, I wanted to give this teaching from Exodus to predicate everything that follows, right? Because this is the background. This is the deep deep background. And it's a calling for the people of God to purify themselves and not be corrupted by what they see around them. And it's one thing to be outraged at the sight of sin that is around you, but as we'll talk about more tomorrow, uh, I believe that we begin by getting outraged over the sin that's in our own hearts. Let's begin here. Let's begin right here. Would you listen to the Holy Spirit's prompting for lingering sin that is in your heart.